0: True Detective Season 2, Episode 3, Maybe Tomorrow, is maybe happening right now here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. Feeling a little apleptic. Aplectic? Apoplectic? 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 <laughs> a- a- aplexed? What is it, Antonia?
1: I think it's apoplectic, isn't it? I don't know. Is it is it is it aplexed? I'm bum puzzled as to the real word that's in play here. How you doing, man?
0: Did you see on Reddit on the True Detective Reddit that uh one of like the greatest spikes on Google after the True Detective episode was like what is apoplectic?
1: Apoplectic? Apoplectic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really funny. I did see that. And I don't know how do we get those numbers? I'd love to see those numbers just on a general daily basis what are what are the google spikes that are happening in the i don't world?
0: know well we can we can set google alerts for apoplectic uh,
1: i know one that's gonna happen after this podcast drops what's it gonna be where's jeremiah Panhorst?
0: where is jeremiah panhorst he is nursing a wound from getting uh filled with riot rounds after uh, last week's podcast he got uh, shot by a bird man oh you mean like a cop would shoot yeah like a cop would shoot are you are
1: you hinting at some theories you have that's not me i mean come on like that's smoke signals
0: yeah smoke signals but no jeremiah cannot be with us on this week's episode he has other matters to attend to he will be back next week we will talk this week just antonio and i talking about episode three of true detective season two maybe tomorrow maybe right now antonio maybe i love you
1: oh thank you i uh i know how you doing I'm doing well. I'm worried. Is Jeremiah in jail? No, 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 no. You why sure he, about this? Why would he be in jail? What for? I, there's a lot. Running cigarettes, I think. Running cigarettes. Running, I can see that running, guy. Running e-cigs? I can see that guy running. Is that an? I Are you smoking an e-cig? I can just see him running some cigarettes in Missouri there, just up through the boot heel, trying to avoid the, the revenueers getting this, those tags and stamps on them. No, he's an upstanding, upstanding
0: citizen, that Jeremiah
1: Pan. He's an upsta- uh, upstate? Upstanding citizen? No,
0: no upstate. Nothing upstate. Okay. All right, i know just he's, to make sure. I know just he's just not to here sure. to rein us in but we're not talking upstate news.
1: all right all right just want to make sure all right we'll miss you jeremiah we'll, we'll see you jeremiah next week.
0: we'll get you next week um antonio what do you think about maybe tomorrow episode three true detective season two rolling on rolling slow
1: little slow little slow i think i'm liking this this series and this season more than i think the general consensus i would that agree. doesn't doesn't mean i love it it doesn't mean i love it but i am liking it more I think then the general consensus is you're in the same.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I'm having fun. Uh, I I will say I'm having fun. I was going to say it's been fun. Uh, The show itself is not fun at all. It's anti-fun. It's not a fun (laughs) show. True Detective, if you're looking for a fun time, don't watch True Detective. Uh, But if you're looking to have fun with a TV show, I think that this is a good show to watch. I'm having a really good time kind of engaging with it right now.
1: Yeah, we had a great comment from one of our listeners, Steph Wanamaker, who said, I always give shows three episodes to pique my interest. And then later on, Steph said, this episode is getting on my nerves. Nobody is this nasty all the time. So yeah, it's a pretty dark show.
0: So did Steph pull the ripcord? Is she out? I, I think she's Steph, let, let, us know. Know. Steph let, yeah, us
1: let us know. Steph, let us know. Steph, are you in or out? We're yeah. here after this third episode. No, we'll, but I I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah, I am. In. 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 I'm
0: I'm I'm really liking the acting a lot. I really like um, you know, I'm I love acting. Colin Farrell in this role. I think is really good. Taylor Kitsch is starting to get interesting to me. Um, I I'm I'm still not wild about a lot of the writing, um, but I'm I'm interested in the mysteries that are going on right now and I'm really interested in kind of the online culture that's surrounding the show at the moment. And I'm fascinated by the people who love it and the people who loathe it. And I am Nowhere near either end of the spectrum right now. I am in a really comfortable middle with the show.
1: Somewhere between loving and loathing lies Josh Wiggler. That's where
0: I am. And its (laughs) I would say it's closer to loving than loathing, but it's not even close to loving yet.
1: Yeah, that's where I am. I'm greatly
0: enjoying myself. I'm having a very good time.
1: I really like, just like I did with the Southern Gothic elements of Series 1, I really like... The kind of send up, or, or the the material that they're 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 sampling. I liked. I love. I love Chinatown. The movie. I'm a big fan of David Lynch, especially David Lynch's L.A. based stuff and the things that are that are going on with like Mulholland Drive and with Lost Highway uh, and just some of the scenes that from last night's episode, very reminiscent of Blue Velvet. So I'm a big fan of of all kind of the Lynch overtones. It's almost not even borrowing from lynch it's kind of straight up theft or homage as i think the people who steal like to call it so i think that that is all, all just perfect right in my wheelhouse that's really good like you i'm a big fan of some of the performances on the show like you i think the dialogue is rotten just like in some points just like really rotten but on other it's points not across really the good.
0: board but in, in right. their deadly spots
1: Right. In other points, it's excellent. I really did like, for example, this first scene from the episode uh, last night with the Conway Twitty impersonator singing the rose with uh, with Con- with Ray's dad, with the, the scene there with his dad. It reminded me very much of no country for old men. And then his his father makes a sort of passing reference to no country for white men, uh, as he says later. So that's right. There's all these connections the great that Fred
0: are, Ward, that actor. I love yeah, that. He man. was
1: fantastic. I mean, that Tremors. was just great because he was in two scenes yeah. and the character was definitely different in both of the scenes. And I thought, wow, this is like a great just kind of two off performance here by Fred Ward. Uh, yeah. Tremors. I mean, he's just got a lot of really, Naked really good. Gun, 33 and a third. He's just got so much excellent stuff on his resume. And he's just so many little pop ins that, that he's in the background of. But I mean, this was a great little character role for him. And I don't know if we'll see more of him or not. I hope so. But I I love in the first scene, he's kind of caring and he's sad and he's a cop. He's wearing his police uniform and he's saying to Ray, like, and and they shot you up. You died like you were coming out of these giant trees and they cut you to pieces. Yeah, that was brutal. But he delivered in like a sensitive, caring kind of way. And then when you actually see the guy and he's waiting for his weed and he's drunk and he's thrown out his badge. And what was that? was it in carbonite. Well, what, what do we have that say? Yeah, it
0: was, uh, I thought it was, uh, in Amber. And if in a few thousand years <laughs> from now, if we yeah. uh, drilled a needle in there, we could take the DNA out and mix it with frog DNA.
1: Ah, uh, uh, DNA? Huh? we would
0: have, uh, Fred Ward, Jurassic Park. Life, uh, finds a way. Life finds a way. So yeah. Does, so does Fred Ward.
1: Fred Ward finds a way. Yeah. He reemerges from his, the badge that he didn't even touch exactly, uh, to, to entertain audiences thousands of years from now. I like it. I like it.
0: No, it's, it's, yeah. it's great casting to have him as Ray's dad and David Morris as Annie's dad. There's been some really good, you know, which we thought was, was a little distracting when we saw him in that first episode. But I can, I can dig it. If like our main characters are going to have dads like David Morris and Fred Ward, uh, I'm, I'm into that. You know, this could be good. This could it's, be very good.
1: Especially if our main characters are going to have such weird kind of masculinity issues. Uh, the, the David Morse kind of scene with, with Rachel McAdams in the, in the premiere episode, he's basically saying, your entire way of being, like everything that you have in your personality is basically a middle finger to me right? because you have such a negative image of me that you have now done this. And she has for all intents and purposes become a man in in many respects. She carries the knives around to be equal she's the partner in the in her relationships who's kind of the colder one, who is the more sexually adventurous one like there's a lot of traditional male things that are being tagged to her, and you've got the the male issues, the father issues that Ray has, like the only thing that matters in his life, as he stated, is his son, who isn't really his son. And we don't know if he has fertility issues. He's not really interested in women. Um, we heard from the first episode that he and his wife had been trying to have a kid, but had un- were unsuccessful at that until this rape happened. So maybe that has something to do with Ray being in a, all that because we've got Vince Vaughn also being that way. So it makes sense in a show where characters have such issues with masculinity and such issues with images that are presented that you're supposed to live up to when it comes to masculinity that their fathers would be such kind of key people that we would see so early on in the series yeah
0: so there's interesting themes that are starting to emerge um you're you're calling up the masculinity themes that are starting to emerge and
1: never mind taylor kitsch right like i didn't yeah yeah, i mean that's happening too
0: who this episode you know it it confirms he is gay
1: yeah and he's and
0: he's he's running away from that and he's trying to bury that and he has You know, this ex soldier that he used to work with and they have their kind of talk about like, you know, it's sort of like this broke back mountain sort of image is kind of conjured up how they had like this small town that they had uh, back during the war that they wish that they could stay at. And Taylor Kitsch is really resisting that. But you get the sense that maybe deep down inside he wouldn't resist it. Uh, But his his buddy is really, you know, really harping for those old days.
1: Yeah, and so that's all really prevalent, and you're right. These and I actually are thought that that merge. was a
0: really great scene.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's it's a good character note for Taylor Nitch, even though or Taylor Kitch, even it's though it's a, good a little niche for Taylor Kitch. It's a good niche for Taylor Kitsch. Uh, the performance is a little kitschy, but um, but yeah, this is this is good stuff. I think it it's what we expected, but that doesn't mean it's bad,
0: right? And we were a little worried if that was all that we were getting into uh, with Taylor, if there was if there wasn't something that was a little bit more of a deeper background, but we don't know. If there's a deeper background or not, you got to assume that there is, and you got to hope that we're going to get into it with this show. The show is moving at a very deliberate pace. We're three episodes in. People are starting to reveal themselves slowly but surely. It is a mystery show. We still got five more episodes to go before this thing is done. So there's plenty of time for these characters to reveal themselves and to become even richer and deeper than they already are. And so I think. For me, a lot of that stuff is really working so far, and I thought that this episode pushed a lot of those storylines ahead in a good way.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't in this episode, but we met Taylor Kitch's mother. We heard that his father was kind of a hound and that he has that reputation to live up to, but his mom was also really weird and something was going on there. He's got that Black Mountain thing with the Blackwater kind of extra mercenary security force thing. That's happened. He's got those scars. So there's more there. There's more with Frank. There's more with all of these characters. Well you, and you, I, bring we are up, you like, Uh, bring
0: uh up. you bring up the masculinity thing. And I think that um one one of the themes that I've been picking up on as of this week is is really uh parenting and like generations and the idea of legacy i feel like is starting to really come into focus where you have annie's relationship with her dad and you had paul's relationship with his mom last week frank and his wife are trying to have a kid and that's been a thing that's been going on all throughout the the series so far and now we have ray's father in the mix and it makes me wonder you know and ray had already been having uh, a parenting storyline of his own with with chad and whether or not he is actually chad's father and everything going on with that So that seems to be something that's really emerging is this idea of legacy and generations and what do you pass down and what do you get from the people above you and how much that F's you up and how much damage you're doing to the people below you. So I think that that's a pretty interesting thing that's starting to bubble up.
1: Yeah, Vince Vaughn actually says, I think, in the premiere episode, like, this is our chance to to become one of those old California families right. where they're so rich, the kids don't even remember where the money came from. right? And they've got that contrasted to what's going on at Mayor Chisani's house. When you speak of parenting, uh, Mayor Chisani last week talked about how he said something like, remain unfettered, Frank. And then he said, you know, my son is a disappointment. He went on and on oh, about good. all these things that were happening. And and then and he just kind of went into this and we meet the sun this week. And yeah, that whole house there, it's a really screwed up thing that's happening. And I don't know exactly what the tie in is there, but that mayor Chisani is certainly a man who seems to be like self-obsessed and obsessed with the trappings of success. That's kind of the, the glimpse behind the curtain of him. So while Casper seemed to be sex obsessed, we get to the mayor's house. There's pictures of him everywhere in his own house, portraits, pictures of him with famous people, rich people. Just that is what his life is. So yeah, he's kind of a weird dude as well. And there's the whole family connection that we're meeting his screwed up family. We get his daughter. She doesn't even say anything. She just closes the door in Rachel McAdams' face. Yeah.
0: It's interesting though, the idea of legacy being so on the minds of some of these characters. And as you're saying with the mayor, like, you know, obviously he is obsessed with how he is represented and viewed and what he's leaving behind. And, uh, you know, just really self obsessed. And, it's it's funny because, you know, this is a show where legacy is a big deal. Season two has a lot to live up to after season one, which was such a cultural phenomenon. And I think that whether intentional or not on Pizzolato's part, I think that it's just it's fascinating that this is kind of the story that's starting to unfold. All these characters who are obsessed with where they come from and where they're going and who's coming with them.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right, and, and you know and the
0: transportation that, system on top of it and
1: everything. Oh yeah, who's coming with them? Where yeah. they're going? That sort of thing. It, it is all connected, and we see all those highway shots. Yeah, so it is. It's definitely there. It's definitely a theme that's emerging, and I don't know if we can connect that in any way to like you mentioned. It, it has a lot. Has a large legacy to live up to in terms of season one, but I'm also interested in tracking. Some of the themes that were present in season one itself, uh, and trying to track if this is a show that has any consistency of theme. There are some theories on the internet that this is all taking place in the same universe. Right. And that the, you know, powerful men doing what they want and these weird kind of hidden conspiracies that are happening behind closed doors that are dark and twisted and depraved and all the things that you might imagine are, if you peel back the layers of society, that that's what's happening and if you think about david lynch the first few shots of blue velvet are, are fantastic because you have this idyllic like suburban setting uh, and then as you pan down through the grass you see like right into the ground the insects that are just eating something alive like right underneath the ground and so it's like if you peel back one layer this is what's behind it and i think that true detective the show has always been about peeling back just a couple of the layers in society And what you see when you do that is pretty dark and pretty scary and not something that you really want. And the first season did such a good job of showing characters, peeling those layers back of their own personalities and coming to face to face with things that they really didn't like about themselves. But we also saw that their attempt doing that in society and the sad kind of half success, half failure of it. And I wonder if we're not going to get very similar themes about that in season two.
0: All right, let's talk about the first scene of the episode, which you liked a lot. I liked a lot, a lot to unpack there um it's you know we we see uh we see ray and his father and it's in the you know it, it is the bar that he's always at right it's just it's sort of yep. like an ethereal version of yep. that bar and it's like is he is he dead is he not what's going on here he certainly looks super dead at the end of episode two we had reason to believe that he's not actually dead he's not actually dead but he either is in a dream a really deep dream or there are some sort of um other world that he's drifting off to and i know that season one was a was a, a a story where a lot of people were wondering how much of this is based in reality how much of this is supernatural and i'm wondering if we're not pushing those same buttons with something like this how much is this just a trippy sequence for trippiness's sake or is there something truly wonky going on what's your take on what we see in this opening scene
1: yeah we had a great question from aj mass uh, espn.com's aj mass you should check out his books if you haven't they're uh Pretty great way to look at life through a fantasy sports and sports lens as a mascot, former mascot. I'm giving AJ a big plug here. But yeah,
0: and he does tons here, of course, on post show recaps. He's yeah, of, the course, Pines podcast of course. Is here.
1: Of course, of course, of course. But uh, I want to make sure people know AJ exists outside the post show recaps world, and he's worth uh, looking into the stuff he does worth outside giving of PSR. Worth giving you money. Well, I've given a little bit of money. But anyway, AJ asked regarding the opening dream sequence. Is it surreal enough for this show to be interesting and exciting? Or is it a very hack attempt to mimic other better such dream encounters like with Twin Peaks, uh, Sopranos and Buffy? Right. And I think that's, well, a, AJ, that's a very valid AJ question. Is obviously,
0: he is a huge, huge Twin Peaks guy. So, right. uh, of course, I think AJ rightfully his natural position would be like, hey, what are you guys doing?
1: Stop. It. Well, and the thing is, like I said, this show, if it, if it took that scene to make you feel like this show has been borrowing from David Lynch. It's only because you haven't watched Mulholland drive blue velvet and lost highway as much as I have, but this show has been ripping off or, or paying homage to David Lynch since the jump of this season. And I definitely feel like this particular scene was of a piece with that thing. The Conway Twitty impersonator in the background is like something straight out of blue velvet, like something straight out of it. So that that scene i mean i don't think that it was it was hack like i i actually really really like that scene it might have been my favorite of the entire episode only because it, it did a good job of what it was trying to do which is as you said be ethereal be weird be all these things but also be kind of a a, a moment for the character and i i mean i really liked it I, I i said this earlier the no country for old men thing one of my favorite scenes maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie no country for old men is straight out of the book. It's the last scene in the book and I won't spoil anything, but one of the characters gives a great speech about having a dream uh, and what was in the dream. And it's kind of this discussion about what happened in that dream. Uh, And it's very similar to the discussion that uh, the character that, that Ray's father is having about what happened in his dream uh, and, and what he saw. And I, I just had such connection to this thing that I love uh, at the end of no country for old men that I felt like, okay, this scene's got the David Lynch vibes, it's got the Blue Velvet kind of call-out, it's got the great No Country for Old Men kind of feeling and vibe. I'm all in on this scene, and it didn't disappoint me. But that said, I can see where people might think it was just hack. What did you think?
0: I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought okay, it was good. it was really moody. I, I just I thought Colin Farrell was terrific. It really unsettled me to see like the cavity in his chest uh, after his father says, uh, I don't know, you were here first after... Colin Farrell says, where is this place? It was just, it was very unsettling. And I'm, I'm interested in where we're going with it. If this is just a one off thing, just a little bit of one off weirdness, or if this is the kind of thing we can come to expect in the future of season two, because I think that that would be a pretty wild thing to do after there were so many eyes on the supernatural aspect of season one if we actually kind of dipped into that a little bit in season two would be pretty interesting but i get the sense we're probably not going there
1: did you do you feel like this is foreshadowing in any way like is this a is this a death certificate for ray is he going to die and probably in in this similar in in a very similar fashion
0: well i i certainly could see i mean he never says like you died but he says you get cut to pieces it'd be hard to survive getting cut to pieces i feel like (laughs)
1: except for we just saw that happen yeah
0: unless like you know depending on what pieces they're cutting there's certain pieces you could live without nothing oh, really tell live me more without. i don't want to tell you more nothing you'd oh, want to live okay. without but there there are things there are things
1: there are did things you say you, you're jewishish
0: uh jewishish
1: okay so there are certain there you go then.
0: there you go okay gotcha no more to be said um so i i i'm curious about that i do think that it's probably uh a little bit of a warning shot that the the bad times are far from over and certainly they are with ray i mean whether or not he gets killed the bad times are a- coming Um, we know that cops are bearing down on him we we get the sense um from the scenes with annie who's talking to her superiors and they want her to start cozying up to him and flirting with him a little bit to draw him out a little bit more they really want to dig in on him um we know that his ex-wife has been visited by authorities and even beyond that just in terms of physical health yeah he just took a couple of buckshot rounds to the chest and he's mostly okay aside from his cracked ribs and his bruised sternum, um, but he also has every other health issue under the sun, according to his doctor. He's like, you could survive with a few of these, but it would really help if you didn't have every single unhealthy habit in the book. Um, so we know that things just aren't good with Ray, even though it looks like he's trying to turn things around. You know, when we see him meeting with Frank, he's drinking water. He's not just getting shit-faced like he normally does. He wants to stay angry. He wants to stay on edge. And he seems focused in a way we haven't seen him in this series other than, you know, the final ten minutes of episode two. Um, So it's a really interesting look at Ray. but the question is, is it too little, too late? And I think that that's going to be another question that's on the minds of most of these characters throughout the series. Is it too little, too late? Could these people change? You know, the things that are wrong with them, the things that are obviously crosses that they're bearing. um, Can they change that stuff or is it just too late for them to move on? And I think Ray is the first person that we're seeing really kind of have to face that line.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. My question is, do you read this whole scene then as a as an actual rebirth? And so the limbo scene at the beginning, is this like his? is king's cross you know harry potter moment like has he kind of been in the abyss somewhere and right. he's emerged from the abyss reborn are you really is that your total read on this no it's not based on t- a glass of water
0: it's not, it's not my total read on it i th- I think um and do you mean that literally or do you mean that metaphorically
1: <laughs> that's a good question
0: you know if, if you're asking me do i think that this is literally his king's cross moment if he has literally crossed over to some dream land where dream things are happening and people exist and this is a real part of the world if this is like a flash sideways in the true detective universe i don't think so but i'm not closed off to it if that's where we're going that's pretty wild no no
1: no. i I guess i mean let's assume that that scene is that but then he comes back when he's awoken in the house and he's urinated on himself and we've got the next scene is that is the scene a crazy dream or is it the sort of like are we supposed to see that scene as formative and and the story that his father tells him as formative uh, experiences that cause him i mean look He takes a shot in the gut uh, and after he takes a shot in the gut, he goes to see the doctor to get cleared, but the doctor tells him live your life better. Like you were just saying, you can't have all the habits and then he he's drinking water. So he maybe has turned the corner a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I think that he's been rattled enough that he has turned the corner. That being said, I don't think that this is um, an experience that I am unique in having. I'm sure you Antonio have had experiences like this and basically anybody who's listening to this, when you have something really jarring and earth shattering happen to you, you want to change things. You want to do things differently. You ha- you want to reassess the way you approach certain stuff, and you do for a time. You don't. You don't. Oh, it's not always permanent adjustments. Uh, and I and there are a lot of things that you do permanently adjust, and that's fantastic. But there are things that slip through the cracks again. And I think that's my question: Is it too late to change? Is it, Is this something where Ray? Has had this, you know, life changing incident where he's been shot and somehow miraculously he wasn't shot with real rounds. He survives. He's fine. Um, and he comes back from that and wants to change things. Wants to be a better dad. Doesn't want to be the guy that goes over to the bully's house and kicks the shit out of the bully's dad in front of the bully just to traumatize the kid. You know, if he wants to move away from being the corrupt cop and being that guy, or you know, do old habits to you know unhealthy habits of which he has all of them. Do they die hard? Is it too hard to kill them all off? And that's the thing that I think is going to be really great to see about Ray moving forward. I think that that's really going to be the journey that he goes on. And I think at least momentarily, temporarily, I think that he had a real epiphany, a real awakening, a real rebirth. But it's very quick. It's very easy to just... Fall back into that old shit again.
1: It's like some when someone goes on a reality show and they say it's changed their lives and yeah. then they come off the reality show and get arrested sure. three or four times.
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't think right. that that's not a universal experience to some degree. Uh, and I think that you could see that in so many different chapters of people's lives in my life, in your life, in anyone's life. I'm sure I'm not alone. My life. My life. And I, I think that's a really universal thing. And i I really interested to see where they go with that with ray because you know it could be that he's turned a corner and he's not turning back or he's turned a corner for now
1: yeah it's true i mean it's weird because if you watch the first episode for the first little bit of the first episode for the first while he's talking to a lawyer he says i welcome judgment he's telling his kid like suck it up you'll be okay he's being nice to his kid though and then vince vaughn asks him frank asks him can you go beat up this reporter for me Right, he goes and beats up the reporter. He starts drinking. That's when I think you really first see him drinking. Uh, it really that's when he shows up bloody and drunk to his kid's school with the to make atonement, I think, for his action by giving him the sleeping bag. When he finds out something worse has happened, he goes even farther down. So this is a guy who maybe wasn't the worst guy and isn't. I think we from the the halfway through the first episode on we assumed this guy was literally at the bottom because that's where he kind of ended up. But for the first half of the first episode, he's really not there. So I don't know. The reason I want to track all this stuff with Ray is because I have some theories, Josh. I don't know. Uh, they're not all mine. I've, I've kind of stringing together things I've read in various places across the internet. But I, I also did rewatch the first episode and the second episode uh, in advance of tonight. And I'm I'm wondering, first of all, Ray asks at one point, Am I supposed to solve this thing? And they're like, just keep us in the loop, right? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to be on the case. In the first episode, he actually says, like, I really shouldn't be on this. They tell him, like, uh, it's a missing person's case, and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be on there at all. Uh and at one point, he's like investigating Casper's house with uh Teague Dixon, uh the WRL Brown from Deadwood and other things. They're investigating the house. And in Colin Farrell basically says, you sure they don't know already? Like Tick Dixon says, we should tell our bosses, like you sure they don't know already. So Colin Farrell doesn't want to be on this case. He, he then later again, asked to be removed from the case in this episode he says you know i really think it's time for me to take a step off this case i don't want to be involved his instincts are to not be involved in this case and i'm starting to feel i
0: loved how when he got shot he's like i guess i'll take the rest of the day off yeah like jack bauer be like all right let's get back into it this guy is not jack bauer
1: no he doesn't he he does not want to do this doesn't have the stomach for it like literally and figuratively like he doesn't want to be involved in this particular case he knows it's bad news and i am wondering if he's being used on this case for any for specific reasons because there is dirt on him because he is the kind of guy that can be flipped it's not just his bosses that want him on this case the state uh, the state's investigative office she's all over it she's like you got to flip this guy he's dirty we can get him like you got to work on this guy she's saying to rachel McAdams. so i really do feel like there's something uh,
0: about ray
1: there's something about ray there yeah. really is and and it, it it's i I don't know what it is, but his instincts seem to be, I need to pull off of this and go into hiding and not be part of this. And everyone else wants him on this case for one reason or another. So I do think that that's interesting to track. I'm wondering specifically how much you think that the bosses in Vinci, both the chief of police, the lieutenant, uh, whose name is Burris, uh, and the mayor specifically want Ray on this case for, for some specific reason.
0: Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. You know, I think um, uh, which one, which one is Burris? He's the he's the, the Dexter's brother,
1: yeah, whatever.
0: Right? Yeah, I think Sporthy. I think um, I could I can see it. I could see where you're coming from. I can see that Ray might specifically have a part to play in this. I know that there are still theories of you know Frank playing him for a reason, whether or not Frank has a more nefarious role to play in his in Ray's ex wife's rape that happened once upon a time. Um, it seems like he is a pawn that is being specifically targeted in this thing
1: right and i and i'm wondering if the arc we get the rest of the season is not in conjunction with the sort of reawakening that is nascent in this episode uh, after he kind of literally wakes up uh, and and he's coming out of this near death thing in limbo, and he's seeking to maybe make some changes in his life. Maybe they'll be temporary, like you said. Maybe they won't. Maybe well, this the t- be a signpost, the episode title
0: be- is maybe tomorrow. You know, maybe it's tomorrow like- he's gonna put why
1: put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Josh? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like I'll do it today. Eh, maybe tomorrow.
1: Right, but I think that he really is not acting tomorrow. He's doing the sorts of things that are happening in the moment, and I wonder if the arc of this season is not from for him going to pawn from pawn to a much more important piece in the on the board. And and I'm wondering if Pawns we're not going to see become an arc. queens, Antonio. I've heard that. I've it's heard your voice. Too. What are you like? Is that is that your like a Paul Paul Linner, What what voice is that? That's my pawn voice. This is what I sound like when I'm a pawn. <laughs> what do you sound like when you're a rook?
0: Uh, I sound a little bit more like this.
1: I like it. How about a bishop? I sound like this. That is what bishop. That's sound all
0: like. I've got. That's all I've got. Those are the only three chess piece boards uh, voices that I've got.
1: You don't have a voice for knight? No. Oh, it would be like a horse voice. I it think. Be, yeah. <laughs> Your voice would only you would only be able to use words that start with the letter L.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I've derailed the conversation.
1: Oh, that's okay. No, it's uh it's fine to go off the rails. Uh what I would say though is that I'm just tracking this arc. I wanna know, is he gonna go from pawn to queen, like you said, uh or just from pawn to more important pawn. Uh is his story about him taking control of his own life, where he is he is a pawn and he is this guy who has been manipulated to do things uh and been put into these positions. And so maybe he's gonna have a hero story in there. The reason I'm saying that is there's something I find very interesting about specifically this episode, but the, the series as a whole. I really like what's going on between Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams. Yeah. I like that. There's a sort of mutual admiration society going on, that there's respect that when he gets shot in the stomach and she shows up, he has a very valid explanation for what happened uh, and she buys it. And then he, he kind of tips her off. He's like, Oh, by the way, Burris is already in there and she runs inside at that point. He didn't have to say that he could have kept her there and kept her talking while Burris was able to just pull whatever he wanted out of that crime scene and put it in a garbage bag that she would never see but he told her he was like hey burris is inside like he didn't try to distract her or anything yeah
0: i mean he also had an opportunity to just let her die in this episode and
1: he also could have let her die exactly you know there's
0: the the, they're chasing the guy who's burned the car at the end of the episode and she could have just gotten turned into a pancake by that truck and he saves her yes you know he could have let her take the shot maybe kill the guy then get splashed by a truck case
1: closed (laughs) case closed i'm the true detective now I'm the true detective who's the true detective now yes so that could have happened but he didn't and in his response to that old ray might have done that he might have or he might have been a little too he might have been drunk he might have been rummy and he might not have been able to make the move in time so there is a lot of old ray that could have come into play there but new ray did not let that happen and he immediately said what do they have on me (laughs) like what does state have on me and she's not in the loop on that obviously but She late earlier in the episode, she says he's he's a burnout. She's asked for her honest opinion and she said he's just he's just a burnout. And And I I don't know her
0: honest opinion of him.
1: No, I don't think so. Like, I don't really necessarily think that at all because I think that that's probably part of her opinion of him. But I think she knows specifically that by stating that opinion, the state people will think the lowest of him as possible. And that it's probably best that they don't think very highly of him because he maybe shouldn't be implicated in everything that's going on. Yeah. And I think burnout is the right word ultimately to describe him.
0: Yeah. It's Um, not a lie. It's
1: not a lie. It's just not totally
0: the truth. He's totally a burnout. Right. But, you know, burnouts can burn again.
1: Oh look at that! It's like saying pawns can become queens. Indeed,
0: but I I feel like um, again Christians. There's there's this moment where you know her superior is saying like I'm not saying sleep with him, but I'm saying you know make him think you might. Um, And what do you think? Where do you think we're going to go with that? Is there going to be any kind of love interest story here going on between Annie and Ray? And if so, how do we feel? Because I don't. I'll just say I don't want to see it.
1: I don't want to see it either. But I'm not going to say that. They couldn't write themselves into a position where I would buy it and find it to be more organic. Um, It was weird that she ended up in his house. I thought, and he had the very personal moment with his wife outside uh, where she's essentially paying him bribe money to just let it go with the kid and he's not taking it. And he comes back inside and he's kind of have to compose himself and talk to Rachel McAdams on the level. But it was really weird that she's in his house looking at his models It just seemed like a very personal thing that I didn't understand why it had happened. Like why were they at his house specifically?
0: Yeah. And they also like leave immediately.
1: Yeah. so it was really, there were a couple moments in this episode that were really, that were really odd. Tell me, is it really TV where, uh, earlier in the episode when we're at Casper's kind of, what what do we call him this place? a sex dungeon?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Creepy sex dungeon.
1: Creepy sex dungeon. We're in the creepy sex dungeon. And and we've got literally it's about I, I wrote this down because it's about eleven minutes into the episode. We have probably a twenty second scene that shows Taylor Kitch standing in the creepy sex dungeon and he's talking to Rachel McAdams and he's like, We found some addresses of some property that he had and we found this other thing and that's it. That's all that's in the scene. It's 20 seconds. Yeah. It's so weird. But one of the other things that is in the scene is Teague Dixon. Uh, this is uh, my boy W. O. Brown standing in the background, and he's just kind of taking it all in. You, they, they show a close-up of him, like listening to what's happening. If you blink, you'll miss it. I promise. But it's a weird scene. What is going on? Like I don't understand. And I'm, I'm, I'm. I guess, Josh, what I'm saying is, True Detective has kind of got me a little bit. It's got me on tilt just uh, a little bit. Oh, You're a little on tilt because I'm starting to look into all these things and wonder if there's. If you watch it even a second time, you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Like that is a lot more prominent now that I've seen it, uh, the, you know, the first three episodes all the way through. I didn't even think about that. Like that, those connections do start to emerge. I'm not crazy. So I don't know. It's got me on tilt. I'm not liking it.
0: Well, you might be crazy, but not for that reason. Why might I be crazy? There's just other things that I know about.
1: you. Okay. Fair enough. Um,
0: But no, all, all of that is, I think, there to drive us crazy. You know, that's that's the purpose of a show like this.
1: I know, and that's what I don't like about it. No, well, then too, it
0: you should be watching something else.
1: I should be watching like like Frontline or like yeah, Nova yeah. or something. Yeah. Very straightforward.
0: Something very straightforward. Um, is, there, is there more from Ray's story you want to talk through?
1: Uh I don't know what did you think I mean I I said it earlier I really like the fact that the two scenes with his father are two the father is very different in both of the scenes did you have anything you wanted to kind of weigh in on in that second scene with his father at all
0: No I I don't have much um I I just I really love that actor I love Fred Ward I think he's an incredible actor I'm really excited to see him on the show and I'm excited to see what more we get from him uh how much more if we get more from him and what that relationship to uh, between him and Ray means to Ray, and how that translates to how Ray views, you know, his relationship to Chad. Like why he is really refusing to let go of the custody thing when you know his ex wife is coming at him and saying like they're coming for you. Like you just take this ten k and go and save yourself a whole lot of heartache uh, and headache too, and just get out of here and just like hand Chad over to us. And he just he won't even have the conversation um so this means so much to him and it's so clear to him that this is not his kid so so you know biologically um so i i think that there's there's just really good stuff going there and with fred ward in the mix and the scenes that we've had between him and colin farrell already have just been really pretty really terrific in my opinion Uh, i think it could i think it could be a really good relationship on this show so i just i'm excited to watch it i don't have too many thoughts on where it's going what it means any of that just yet
1: yeah and nor do i um i i really just josh what is it with you and i we talk the leftovers and what do we have uh it's not uh, what, what's his name scott uh not scott foley that's scott the glenn. scandal scott glenn scott glenn popping scott up scott foley this. and
0: scott glenn are not the same
1: they might be the same i think in his day scott glenn was a scott foley okay yeah i mean he's dude is ripped now at age 75 right like it's it's entirely oh, possible i
0: think he's more ripped than uh, scott foley
1: oh he probably is yeah Yeah. i mean i don't know but anyway we've got these weird father figures played by great character actors who could potentially lend a ton to the proceedings so i'm excited for that as well
0: um what do we think about the guy who ray and annie were chasing after at the end of the episode the guy who set their car on fire the masked man is that Birdman? is this a new party is this the person who killed casper who do you think this guy is
1: that's a good question Uh, and and i don't i don't i don't want to say that it's definitely the same person who killed casper Uh, there's been some stuff on the internet that there were talk
0: about it bring it up
1: yeah in the background of the of the movie set there where we've got just the the ultimate juvenile like uh rip at carrie fukunaga Uh, it's just ridiculous i don't i'm losing my place in my mind because i'm angry about that scene but at the, uh, at the movie shoot there, you see a couple of masks, not even just one, but a couple of interesting masks. There's a bird mask on someone's head at one point, and he's very familiar with, uh, he gets a big smile at the kind of seedy guy that we'd talked to already. There is uh, the photographer who a lot of people think is weird, the set photographer, and in, through the set photographer's eyes or, or through his arms in the background, you can see one of those masks. It's not the same mask but it is a very similar mask and you can see it again in the background of another scene. Well, so there,
0: there are a bunch of masks that you can see throughout the, the scene that are different, but are similar,
1: right? Uh, that's what I'm saying. None of them are the same, but they're all very similar. They're
0: all obviously of a piece and yeah. those masks on the movie set are consistent with the mask that the guy who set the car on fire is wearing.
1: Yeah, not the same mask. I mean, we got to be very clear about that. It is definitely not uh, any of the masks that we see are not exactly the same. But they are very similar. But they look
0: connected. They look like they're from the same set.
1: They look very connected. They look very, very, very connected.
0: So do we think that people from the movie set are involved in what's going on?
1: I think they have to be, right? Like somebody there has to somehow be involved or... How
0: did we get to the movie set to begin with? Did you track that?
1: Yeah, there was it was uh, something to do with uh, the car was that was seen on a camera uh, and they they tied that car to Casper and the car was registered to the movie set uh, and was part of the kind of transpose service from the film. They interviewed one of the drivers uh, who had uh, previously quit his job and he seemed to have a perfect alibi as to why he quit his job. He, in fact, is lifting up his shirt to show them his uh, lumbar issues. He's wearing some kind of brace or something. And just when he's doing that is when we hear the explosion and around the corner, we see the car, the car that we know dragged Casper's body down the PCH and put it there where it was found. The car we know he went weekend at Casper's in the car that we saw the bird mask sitting in. I believe the very car that we saw the person sitting in outside of Casper's creepy sex dungeon the previous week, right before Ray got capped. All right? So it's all the same car. That car is tied to the movie set. Now the question is, is this, some associate of Casper's. And so maybe they just took the masks from the movie set and maybe Casper was running with these people in the movie circles, or is there a specific person from the movie set who's some kind of power broker or is somehow involved in this larger kind of underbelly conspiracy that seems to be brewing with all these really rich, powerful people uh, like the mayor uh, and all the people that we know about uh, that, that Frank has kind of come into contact with and, All the parties that we hear about, we're starting to hear the mayor, uh, the mayor's wife said they met at a party. Uh, We hear Frank talking about how Casper liked to go to these parties where they had wall to wall of Jean. I don't know how I don't know how to clean it up, you know uh with he from the eastern block that these guys like to run so we're hearing a lot about these things that that are this there's just kind of under the surface a little bit so maybe someone from the film set was involved with that i'm not sure we're necessarily meant to peg a particular person but i'd have it's to carry
0: fukunaga Ugh.
1: you want to talk about that at all you're yeah, of course you're much more in the industry than i am can you set it up
0: well all, all i can say is this the director of the mad max analog that is being shot on this movie set uh, is you know an Asian man with he has a, his hair in a, in like a pulled back bun and he has a lot of prima donna attitude and there is a lot of speculation that this is an analog for Cary Fukunaga who is the director of the first season of True Detective who is rumored to have not gotten along with Nick Pizzolotto. I can never pronounce his name uh, the Pizza man lot the name. man who writes the show the man who is carried over from season one to season two who is True Detective in a very real way. These two apparently did not get along. Um, a lot of popular opinion is on Carrie Fukunaga's side as opposed to Nick's side. Uh, Nick, in interviews, he comes across a certain way.
1: <laughs> That's one way of putting
0: it, you know. And there are a lot of people saying that this scene very much reads, if you know about that situation, as um, you know, these two people not getting along, and this being Nick Pizzolatto's. Uh, way of kind of taking a shot at Carrie Fukunaga, who is not on here. I mean, from the to the point where if that is how you read it, you know, you have Colin Farrell asking the photographer like, what's this movie about? And the guy says, it's about two tons of shit. So basically saying that whatever Carrie has moved on to is not very good. Uh, The guy also says, um, the director says to them at one point, he's like, to tell you the truth, I drink. It makes my recollection unreliable. Uh, So if you buy into this, then these are some not so subtle digs at one of the guys who is considered to be one of the key creative visionaries and people responsible for the success of season one. Um, That is a guy that is being taken down on your TV screen on Sunday night.
1: It made me so angry. So, so, so that's how you read it. Yeah, because of course that's how I read it. But the, the question I have is like Fukunaga is EP on this particular show. So is it like just kind of like nominatively EP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's getting money, but he actually has no creative oh, I don't word over has, the show. Yeah.
0: I don't think he has any creative voice on the show anymore, nor do I think that McConaughey and Harrelson have much creative say on the show, but they're listed as EPs. You know, that's a, it's a ceremonial title for the most part.
1: Yeah. That's and that's what I thought. He's making money on it, but I don't know. Um, i don't know i i was not a fan of that and if that goes any further this whole thing is like it's gonna it feel he,
0: like- if he's the bird man that would be incredible this season <laughs> would be so obnoxiously self-indulgent and i would love it
1: you would love it yeah i you would, would lo- love it as like a curiosity yeah yeah,
0: yeah. i would love it as a curiosity
1: but but i would not <laughs> and i would be angry yeah because i, don't, I, I don't- if i want to see curiosities I'll go to a freaking carnival. I know. I, I. well. I am
0: at the freaking carnival, Antonio. I get to, uh, the way that I view shows and the way that I view things like this. I don't take it too seriously. I think it's all fun and games and smoke and mirrors and all that stuff. And I can view it as a freak show. Uh, and if the freak show is, you know, appropriately freakish, I'm going to have a good time, even if the, the product isn't very good. Uh, so I will at least be able to enjoy myself. That's why I'm always pretty positive on most stuff. Uh, I'm just, a, I'm a pretty happy guy, Antonio. What can I say?
1: yeah and look fukunaga may be no saint like he wins the emmy for a best director he gives an acceptance speech doesn't thank the writer well it's, there might be a reason for that yeah there might be but the, the writing is the writing like writers are notoriously irascible and tough to deal with people present company excluded but i will say that all that being all that aside it's not like Kerry fukunaga made true detective season one appear out of thin air so take the high road, man. Like, even if you had a really bad experience with pizza latte, like step it up and be a better, be the better man. And yeah. so I mean, his hands are probably not fully clean. And I'm, I'm willing to admit that like creative types can butt heads very easily. I just don't need to see all that play out. I know you, you have fun at the carnival.
0: I like, love the I, carnival.
1: There's so much good television out there right now that I'm not watching because I'm spending the time that I have watching things like true detective that it's, I'm invested in true detective being part of that group of good television shows. And if it turns into a curiosity where somebody's just being self-indulgent and it'll be interesting. And then I think in, in years I'll be able to say, well, that's a really kind of an interesting look at the creative process and, and what, what, what results, but I don't need to see this scene. It angered me like I could have been anybody. It didn't have to be that actor. It didn't have it. to be that. You love it. but I love, that, it. I, 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 don't. I
0: love the arrogance. I think it's incredible. I think it, it's, it's an incredible insight into the mind of a man who uh, has a public image problem. And this is what he chooses to do. Yeah, you know, that's just fascinating to me. And endlessly, endlessly fascinating.
1: But that's we don't, we, true. I'm glad it happened. I just I'm not glad it happened no, in the context fine. of something. I wanted to be good.
0: Listen, I'm I'm am perverse, you know. I'm am pleased by really weird things, and so uh, <laughs> tell me
1: more <laughs>
0: I when we go offline. Uh, you know, oh so, man,
1: you're denying people such pleasure. I know, I know,
0: Hey, if you if you ever see me at a bar, buy me a drink. I'll tell you all about it. But uh, yikes, uh, I won't tell you too much. Um, but no, I you know we don't need to dwell on it too much. But that's that's the that's the story there. If you're seeing that stuff, but it seems like the movie set is involved. I know a lot of people are curious about the the staff photographer. That's somebody that people are having an eye on right now as somebody who could possibly be involved. And you got to look at the guy who set the car on fire and ran away. Pretty athletic, acrobatic. I think that rules out some of the other suspects that we've seen on the show, some of these cops that we've seen. It's not W. Earl Brown, who is, you know, leaping fences away from Rachel McAdams, for
1: instance. No, it's definitely not. But it could uh, be I, the staff I, photographer who looks like he's in pretty good shape. Yep, it um, sure could be. And I, And, I, and I, what I don't know is, is it all one person? Is it not... I suspect that this is not a uh, lone kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like a just a crazy loner, lone gunman kind of scenario. This is not one person who had beef with Casper and took him out and is now doing this. Uh, There, there are multiple people involved. My question to you, speaking of another scene in the, in the, in the show and kind of, pardon me, taking on another sort of uh, element of the story. What's going on with Vince Vaughn? Are people, is somebody, somebody very specifically, Seems to be targeting him and, and the people close to him. Is it is it the same person that's killing his killing this guy Stan uh, that that is killed that probably killed Casper? What was? Do you remember what role Stan even played?
0: No, I think that there's a pretty funny meme that's starting to develop here. Is like who the f is Stan? <laughs> I, I think that there's there's a lot of people who are asking that same question online. So that's pretty fun. Um, I think he was. I think he's just a flunky. I don't think that he was any sort of big deal. What is kind of a big deal is the scene where they discover his body is not well lit. Um, but if you if you mess with the lighting, as somebody on Reddit did, you see that he resembles Casper's dead body. He's got his he's eyes. Got the eyes, yeah, he's got the eyes burned out. His hands are all scarred up with acid. So whoever killed this guy either killed Casper or knows enough details about the Casper death to make it look similar.
1: Yeah, Stan is the guy who pepper sprays the, the guy who Vince Vaughn kind of menaces in episode two. Got it. So Stan is the leather jacket slicked hair back guy who who pepper sprays someone's eyes. So it's sort of interesting that his eyes met a similar fate. Eye there. for an eye. Eye for an eye. So, but there's also the Oedipus connection, like you said, with Casper. I don't know if if there's a larger, it sure seems like people are coming at Vince Vaughn. I'm wondering, are we still kind of tracking Kelly Riley here? Uh, Vince Vaughn's wife is that she's got a very Vince. is just kind of weird watching her sitting at an empty roulette table or some kind of gaming table and she's there all by herself. And then as soon as the Russian guy leaves, he goes right down to her and and pays his pleasantries. Right. So is she doing something behind Vince Vaughn's back where maybe she is kind of the Lady Macbeth we talked about before or I I don't know anything moving the needle for you Vince Vaughn wise on this episode specifically with regard to the Kelly Riley character,
0: yeah, no, that's not off the table for sure, and he's certainly a major, major shithead to her. You know, when he's talking about all the IVF stuff and how it's unnatural, and how he's really pinning it on her. You know, that's awful what he what he's talking about, how it's unnatural. And they said, "I'm fine," uh, right? You know, and it's just it's it's garbage. You know, this is, a, this is a really bad look for for uh, for Frank Semien here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan has some sort of Lady Macbethian role. The thing is, we just know so little about her so far. And that's been kind of disappointing, is I think that she's been a pretty thinly drawn character so far, Kelly Riley. I hope that they do more with her, because I think it's really good casting, and she's got potential to be very good. And she's in the opening credits, so you would assume that she's going to have a major role to play. It just hasn't bared fruit yet. So I would expect that she knows a little more than she's letting on, how much more she knows, how involved she is in things, and what her motives would be. That's beyond me. I don't really know. Um, but I, I would not be surprised in the least to find out that she is somehow dabbling in some of these uh, behind-the-scenes dealings going on with Frank. I also... I don't know. I mean, I have to. I have to replay some of this stuff. I have to go back and rewatch. And I would. I'd be. Curious we have to if go any, back. we have to go back. I'd be curious if anybody wants to do this. If, if or if people are already doing this. Looking. A true
1: detective rewatch. Are we going to do it, Josh? No, we no, no.
0: Podcast no. every episode. We're not repodcasting what we've already podcasted. But I. I'd be interested <laughs> if people are already looking at him with this vantage point. Is it possible that Frank is? pulling one over on us is that is that within the show's power like if we're already somewhat suspicious of the fact that maybe he is somehow involved in the rape of colin farrell's wife back in the day is it completely out of the realm of possibility that he himself is tanking this train deal is taking out his own men um, is there any sort of read where we are being duped here and there is a way to look at all of Vince Vaughn's angsty scenes, his angry scenes, his scenes of pure fury and stress? Is there a way to read that as though he is somehow pulling the strings behind this thing? If there is, there some motive that he could possibly have where he would be the guy that we should be looking
1: at? Yeah, that's interesting. I have not. That's not at all been my read. Uh, it ju- it
0: just did. occurred to me a little while after watching this past episode as a as a, even a, as a remote possibility um so i don't know well,
1: I, I think let it's, me let me let me fuel your fire a little bit yeah because i hadn't thought about it but here here we have rachel mcadams beginning of the episode uh and i'm sorry i'm just so bad with these character names in this series we'll
0: get them we'll by episode eight
1: yeah she, <laughs> she's talking to uh to ray and she basically says look uh, find the prostitute that you got the tip the from. Prost. The Prost. Let's I'm bring glad, the Prost I'm, in. I'm
0: glad Prost is still on uh, as True Detective Lexicon.
1: Well, it's Nick Pizzolato, man. The man knows. He knows how people talk. So I've always in,
0: loved how Matthew McConaughey was always like the Prosts.
1: Bring in the Prost.
0: So we're we gonna got, bring in Prost is is still a thing that's happening on True Detective.
1: Oh yeah. So there's a there's another link between uh besides the fact that it's written by the same guy, he writes the same words. Prost. But um let's bring the so she says bring in the prost. Uh, bring in you know and we'll we'll, we'll kind of investigate so then we get to this scene with Ray and uh, Frank where Ray is basically saying like you need to let me know what's going on I don't want to get blindsided again I don't want to walk in and literally get shot you need to tell me what's happening Frank gives him a little bit more detail but certainly not all the detail that's necessary and he doesn't give him the prost. and then we see Frank doing this big scene where he is like, hey, uh, we want to, we got to bring all your girls in. We need to find out about this guy. And he he is theoretically looking for his money. He maybe is helping Ray kind of find more leads, but he really seems to be after his money. And then he kills the guy. He kills the only guy who had any real connection to the actual person who provided the tip. So now she's basically in the wind. We don't know which girl it was. We don't know. How to identify her again? Uh, the guy—he didn't kill him, but I mean, I, he takes him really off the map, totally, and literally rips his mouth apart. Right. So I, I assume he might kill him. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't, but he sends a pretty big message. Like you better—you better do what I ask you to do. Uh, and maybe what I ask you to do is uh, not tell the police about, not tell anybody about the girl that you spe- you previously sent me up with. Right. So maybe he's covering his tracks a little bit too. I don't know what's happening. My guess is that he is being kind of undermined from inside Uh, i don't know if that is if that is his wife jordan as you pointed out i don't know if it's some of his one of his underlings there's an interesting picture on the subreddit for true detective and i apologize i don't know the name of the person who posted it but first but there is a um the guy in that very scene in the club uh, one of vince vaughn's henchmen pulls out a very short uh, shotgun um, pulls it out in that scene when it, when things get tense, the, they get their weapons out, and the thing he pulls out is a very short shotgun. Right, and I don't know if that's the shotgun the the Birdman carries. Is he the Birdman then? And if he's the Birdman, is he being paid by the Russians to take Vince Vaughn down from the inside? This is the same henchman who has a really weird scene uh, with Frank in this season, in this in this uh, episode, where he says basically, uh, "Well, I think he's half great white and half barracuda, anaconda, or anaconda.
0: anaconda, blue barracuda."
1: Yeah, Blue Bear uh He's half Silver Snake, and he's <laughs> yes. half, you know, whatever. No, I, he says that, and he says it in a really weird, creepy way, and I couldn't help but notice he's got some kind of, like, scar or something on his forehead. Can't trust I don't the know. man with the scar. Maybe, but maybe that's just, like, maybe he cut himself taking a mask on, putting it off. Like, it's entirely possible, so. This show that, is
0: really messing with you.
1: Yeah, you mean me? Yeah, I know it is. I told you that. <laughs> I told you that, and in fact, before this podcast is over uh, and pro- you know, probably soon here after we get a couple questions in. I, I want to pl- plant a flag on some of these mysteries okay. that I think we should track going forward.
0: That sounds fun. That sounds fun. I'm not really buying what I just said about Frank anyway. I'm just saying that I, uh, it's something I want to look at. It's something if anyone is looking at that, I would love for them to say whether or not they think that's possible. Even just thinking about it and talking about it out loud. You know, like there's the scene in the first episode where the Russian says, don't push me, Frank, and he leaves and Frank is alone after that and he throws a hissy fit. So that's the kind of thing, like if you're alone and you're throwing a hissy fit, then you probably are being duped unless there's some other reason that like, is he just like a spastic hissy fit thrower? Like does he just spontaneously throw hissy fits every now and then? And again, is it like a nervous tick? Uh, or, you know, is he just being duped? Is he just being clowned? And it's also possible that he's clowning Ray with, that, with also being clowned on the Casper thing too. Like the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Maybe the guy is somehow in league with Birdman and Frank sent Birdman to the place that he already knew about to blast Colin Farrell in the in the guts to wake him up and get him back in line or whatever. Who knows? Possible. That doesn't mean that he's in on the Casper thing necessarily. So, I, I mean, I think that there are obviously there are cards on the table that he has not flipped that we have not seen yet. I think that that much is for sure.
1: Yeah, because you do have to ask, you have to ask yourself exactly what you just said, which is why does Birdman shoot Colin Farrell but not kill him? And you do do that because you do that because, hey, like maybe you didn't have the right bullets in your gun and it was a momentary thing. You do that because you want to take evidence away that you don't want him to find, but you actually don't want him dead. Why? Because maybe you want him on the case. Like maybe he's Vince Vaughn's inside man and you can pick up information secondhand if you're one of Vince Vaughn's henchmen and you're doing this. You can pick it up secondhand from the interactions that you have with Vince Vaughn uh, or the stuff you hear in the background. So there's a reason why he was left alive. He uh, Ray says, you know, I, I was shot with the kind of rounds a cop might use. Right. Uh, so there's kind of a, like a little bit of a smoke signal, as we said earlier, to whether this was a cop or not. If it is a cop, is it somebody that wanted to let Ray die and not die because he, he likes him? Maybe he's his partner. Like there's a lot of things in play there.
0: Yeah um what did you think of the fight scene with frank
1: (laughs) we had a we had a pretty good question from about that uh from uh from our philly our our great friend our philly our philly said i felt like vince vaughn's performance so far has been stronger than anticipated by the audience but the fisticuffs in the most recent episode really came off poorly executed and they really were fisticuffs they were famous fisticuffs. They, yeah. They, the only thing missing was like the underhanded, like yes. 1890s style mustache boxing. Yes. Our um, Philly wants to know: Am I being critical, or, do you, did you, or did you guys think that his bobbing and weaving in that fight seemed forced and inauthentic?
0: It just to me, like I, I, I just don't see a world where Vince Bond kicks that much shit out of that guy.
1: Yeah, but. We don't know a ton about Frank, right? We, we don't, don't know, know a ton
0: about Frank, but it didn't feel like the the fists were landing with the impact that we were seeing on the show. Like It just didn't, it didn't feel that way to me.
1: No, I mean, the, the choreography in and of itself was not great. Has Vince Vaughn ever played a boxer? I feel like he has. Maybe, I don't know. I, I'm not remembering if he has, but he... Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that they, the, the actual like impact of the punches didn't really seem to, to work, but I can buy Frank as a, as a scrapper. He did not grow up with money. He, he probably grew up poor. Uh, I'm guessing I'm not, I'm not sure, but that if we find out that he grew up poor, I would not be surprised. So if he grew up a scrapper, I can see that he's like, you know what? This is my rep and I'm going to defend it. I can still, I can still go, you're a big dude, but I can definitely dodge you because you're slower than I am. I'm going to take you on here. I can see that. I bought that as believable, but the the actual physical violence there, I didn't buy so much. Yeah.
0: I mean, and also just the, that that's an example of where the dialogue is just like falling flat for me. Like the guy saying to him, like you put those crazy eyes on and everyone's supposed to shit their pants, but you ain't that thing no more. What you used to was Uh, uh, you're tall, but you're really little. Oh, boy. And then him saying, keep your rings on. It doesn't matter to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, It's just moments where it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'll
0: keep my rings on. Uh, So, no, we'll (laughs) we'll see. I mean, obviously, we now have uh, proven evidence that Vince Vaughn can kick your ass on this show, at least. I'm sure. Well, also, let me just plainly put this on the record. Vince Vaughn could kick my ass. Guaranteed. As could basically anybody listening to this, so I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a tough guy.
1: You're not setting I'm, the bar very high I'm, either. I'm
0: just saying that I I I don't buy Vince Vaughn kicking the crap out of this guy.
1: I don't think Vince Vaughn could kick my ass. I don't
0: think he could I think I could take him. I think I think you could take him too. I've seen i I think
1: I've got too. a lot more rage. I don't think Vince Vaughn's got a lot to be angry about. You're an angry guy. Not that guy. I do. You you're an angry no. guy. And I'm not really, but I, I I you know I'm not Vince Vaughn either. There's a darkness Soft. inside though. There is the yeah. yeah. dark passenger. Dark passenger. Vince um, Vaughn is soft, is what I'm saying. And if he wants to fight Vince, if you're listening, let's do it. All right.
0: Well, if anyone is tracking Vince Vaughn's motives, Frank's motives on the show, and sees any reason that he would be in on this somehow, that he is pulling any kind of strings, I i would really been pretty closed off to it, and I'm still mostly closed off to it. But I I don't want to close that door completely. Like I don't want to, I don't want to have that be entirely a hundred percent shut because I think of the four main characters he would be the one that would have that possibility right now
1: oh I think so too so, Yes, for sure so for let's, sure
0: let's not shut the door on that you know for let's, sure let's close it most of the way but let's leave it open a crack just so we can like you know look in on it make sure it's asleep or if it's awake tearing the house apart
1: yeah I mean Taylor Kitch is accidentally involved because he happened to find this body uh that is why he's involved it doesn't mean he doesn't have a dark passenger himself uh, in terms of what happened in Black Mountain. It doesn't mean that he's not self-loathing about some of his latent kind of uh, suppressed homosexuality. It doesn't mean that he didn't have issues with his mom or all those things, but he's not the guy who's like, you know, who's capable of an Ocean's 11 style, like, this is what was really happening right. the whole time, right? But I think Frank is because and I we even I do.
0: in episode two saw him pull off, a, you know, a scam, which was obviously a much lower level scam than what would be required to be the mastermind behind any of this stuff. But it might not be, you know, too far away from getting Birdman to shoot Colin Farrell.
1: No, I agree with that. You know, and the that, pepper spray kind of thing might that's not that's be too far getting, away. At, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is that I do want to plant the flag as one of the things that I would want to track. And we talked about this already, but did Vince Vaughn actually, did Frank actually have someone rape Colin Farrell's wife to get him under his grips, or otherwise did he frame one of his own guys for it, Uh, or was that totally on the level? I am on the team that that scene, that interaction we see in the flashback, and it's important I think that we saw, it's the only flashback we've seen, um, I think that it's important for that scene to see that I really am on the team where that's not on the level. Like that's there's like, that's more like to the, that story.
0: That's like the Tower of Joy scene of True Detective.
1: <laughs> it really is. Like, promise Frank, me, promise me, Frank. Right, <laughs> promise me. You know, right, right.
0: For promise a, me, for any me. Game of Thrones nerds who know what we're talking about. Yes. Um,
1: but yeah, I that scene is important, and I think it's important because I do think that Frank set that up to some extent. Well. I don't know if he opportunistically heard about this story and thought he could flip this guy, getting his claws into him. I mean, it's funny because what we see happening in our present storyline are the state's investigators in the state, the, the AG's office, they really want to get something on Colin Farrell so they can use him. And I really think that that's probably what happened with, with Vince Vaughn, with Frank uh, is that he gave, he gave Colin Farrell at a low time, this opportunity for Colin Farrell, for Ray to give Frank uh, the kind of material that Frank could use to operate and work uh, and work Ray. So yeah. I think that that's happened. They've had a mutually beneficial relationship. Funny moment in the previous episode when Vince Vaughn is like, uh, Hey, why don't you ask your best informant, uh, you know, what's going on. And Ray kind of looks at him like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? You're obviously my best informant is what he's saying. Yeah. So they have a mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship, but that's not to say that one of them isn't the host. Like one of them didn't set this thing up. So I think that that's why there may be some truth to you saying that he might've kind of, he knew, he knew more than anybody, he knew that Ray was going to be at that house. Yeah, hard to He's see. the one who sent yeah. him there. Hard, hard
0: to see how or why he would do the Casper thing, but I think in terms of getting Ray shot, I think that there's, there's ways to see how that would be connected.
1: Absolutely. He, he's, the, he's the only one who knew that Ray would be there. Right. And the guy just happened to be out front when Ray walks up. I don't know. Maybe the guy's sitting on that house for other reasons, but I got to think he's not. And so, it's
0: Colin Farrell's first thought. And just because he calls him on it and Vince Vaughn, you know, mostly denies it, if he even straight up denies it, which I'm not entirely sure thing about it that he does. I think. Yeah, I'm not like, sure that he does. It's like a non-denial. <laughs> uh, and just because that was like the first thing that came out of Colin Farrell's mouth on the show in terms of somebody to accuse doesn't mean that it's not how it was. Right. doesn't mean you isn't what you was.
1: Right. Oh, there you go. Nice yeah. work. Pizza a lot.
0: Um, all right. What else do you want to talk about? Do you want to start? Planning some flags. I know you had some some flags you wanted to plant.
1: Well, let's know. get a couple questions out of here and uh, just kind of rapid fire. Alex Wilpon wanted to know Did anyone else interpret Annie's reaction? to the animal heads on the wall at the crime scene as recognition. Uh, Maybe it's possibly something pointing to her father and quote unquote, the good people, the kind of weird cult or something that he ran. I don't know. Did you read anything into Rachel McAdams or Annie's uh, kind of reactions at the crime scene?
0: I didn't at the time. Now that you mention it, Alex, I could see it. And I think that outside of Frank, if you can look at any of the, the three detectives, the three true detectives, as somebody who could know a little bit more about what's going on than they are presenting, it would be Annie because of her connection to her father, depending on how connected to things her father could be or through that world that she grew up in, um, what she may have seen as a younger person. Um, so I could see Annie having some level of recognition about what's going on. And she's such a reserved inward introverted person to begin with that. Who would she open up to about that at this point? Um, so I can absolutely see that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, and I, that's one of my flags I wanted to plant. I I definitely want to plant a flag on. So let's say she grows up in this kind of weird cult, uh, that I don't even know who the participants would have been but some crazy she's seen some shit some dirty stuff went down of two of the people ended up in jail two of the people ended up killing themselves and she's the one who became a detective and she's clearly suppressing a lot of that it's not really at the surface but in the first episode it's important that we go meet her dad in the second episode it's important that that creepy psychiatrist mention her father and in this episode not we don't get it we don't get a ton of that unless there's a
0: lot loaded into that look
1: right and that's why i want to plant the flag because i want to look at her character through that lens uh, among others of course but the lens of like what more is there to her story uh we're going to get little bits and pieces maybe stray lines the way she reacts to things i don't think the e-cig is going to be important but little things like that you don't think makes... that she's
0: going to stab the e-cig through somebody's eye at some point the, the, check knives, off the, the knives are a red herring it's
1: the, the not e-cig. it's the e-cig all right I'll, I'll, maybe we can do that maybe we can just uh take them to blue as it were you know what i mean just yeah. go all out so i know
0: exactly
1: what you mean i it's blu but um but yeah i don't know but i'm but i want to plant a flag on that and i do want to track what more does she really know that's something i want to track like they, there's definitely more about her background than we've we've been informed on and i do think that it will influence some of what will be to come Uh, It can't be that we've had so many references to upstate California, which is crazy, I might add, Uh Um, and that's where her father's organization is, uh, and there's all these weird things. The missing girl thing, I really think that that's all meant to show kind of this weird things that are happening upstate, and she does know a little bit about that, so that'll be really interesting to track. Um, Here's another thing that is interesting to track, and it ties into the same thing. Uh Jorge sent us a comment and says, I was wondering with all the masks and all, another mask-related observation here, what if it's the same web of child molesters from the first season? Uh-huh. You remember the Tuttles and the Childresses who are into their old habits in the second season? Maybe it's them. Remember, they never got them all in season one. All right. Know, so what do you think? Are this part of the same kind of grand conspiracy?
0: So so diving into this requires that we set up season one a little bit better. There, you know, season two is supposed is supposedly at least it's billed as an isolated story a story you do not have to have seen season 1 of True Detective 4 so Antonio can you set up a little bit about what this might mean if this theory is accurate
1: yeah so the i mean it, we already talked about it a little bit thematically thematically uh, in series 1 season 1 there was a sort of overarching um powerful Spoiler people the warning
0: by the way of course yeah
1: and i'm trying not to spoil too much this sort of overarching powerful people Uh, are doing really shady shit behind the scenes and using their positions of power and using the veneer of influence that they have through being members of the church, the high ranking members of the church or members of the Senate or governors. They're using this to prey on innocent. And in the case of season one uh, children uh, for sexual reasons, and there was this very, very big link between sex and power and just this weird thing that was happening in season one. And what they did is in season one, they undid some of it, but they didn't really get all of them. They only got some of them. Some of them had died, perhaps mysteriously. Some of them lived on and, and were just elected officials and powerful people. And so it can't be that in season two, which features the sort of dirty behind the scenes goings on of powerful, in many cases, elected people That were just not at all connected. Like at least thematically, it is connected. At least thematically. Jorge's observation is: Is it connected more than thematically? Right. Like, is it actually connected as part of the same universe?
0: And the True Detective cinematic universe. Yeah,
1: the TCU.
0: Yeah, the TDCU.
1: The TDCU. My apologies. I my apologies to Texas Christian University. Yes. For selling your good name with a connection to a Nick Pizzolatto show. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but no, TDCU True Detective uh combined universe cinematic cinematic universe yes and uh, well I, i'm, I'm going to do combined because okay. i don't know how cinematic this oh is. wow digs i'm digging no what i'm saying is ultimately you have to track whether this this really applies or not and in the tdcu uh thematically it does and i i, I like that i appreciate that pizza might be this kind of guy who writes about the same themes because these are important themes i do think we should be asking ourselves like What can the powerful truly get away with if we let them or if we let them go unchecked or unfettered? What kind of things can corruption breed? The very basest, rawest, grossest, darkest things that humanity can bring into being. That's the sort of of things that can happen. That's what season one is.
0: Right. And it's not like those are themes that you have to one and done.
1: Right. You know, those oh, are themes exactly. that you can
0: explore in numerous stories that could be your whole body of work and it could be a great body of work
1: that's what I'm saying so i'm'm I'm, I'm happy that those are the themes that pizzolato is interested in writing about because I think those themes are worth writing about and worth kind of uh, the sort of episodic and longer form storytelling that we get in true detective that doesn't really hit you like a film or doesn't really hit you uh, in the way like a news story might or, or a polemic or an opinion article. Uh, This has a different kind of way. It, It almost is like a stiletto. in that by the time you realize what the show's about, you're already stabbed in the heart. Like it's already got you. Right. So good for true detective if that's what's going on here. And I think that it can, it can be exactly what you said. It can be that thematically they're part of the same universe if it's not actually part of the same overall story. Uh, And I think I talked to you a little bit about this. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or off with American horror story. We have the same cast, but is there any continuity of story? Like this all takes place in the same town or does it base around a a house? Right.
0: Starting with season four, they started dropping big, not even clues. They dropped confirmation that these stories exist within the same universe.
1: Right. But, but not like, they're in the same universe, but there's not like a through line. It's not like Jessica Lange
0: is not playing the same character in all four seasons. She's playing different individuals, but there are characters that cross over through certain seasons.
1: Okay, so, right. it,
0: so it would be it would be like saying it's like a, an analog for uh, a Marvel cinematic universe like the Marvel movies or something like that. It's just like kind of the lead example that you could use um, and the question that's being brought up here is could that be what's going on with True Detective? While Ray Velcoro and Annie Bezzarides are investigating Birdman, is this taking place in the same world where Ruskell and Marty Hart have either solved or are solving Carcosa?
1: Yeah, there's no reason for it not to. I don't know how overt the connection will end up being, and I think that's really kind of the underpinning to Jorge's question, is Is there going to be a more direct connection? Are there going to be names mentioned? Are there going to be people that are mentioned that are we going to see a picture of the mayor with uh with reverend tuttle like is right. that something they we're going to see i don't and think I, so i don't, I don't think, think so. i think the answer is no yeah. I, I think the answer is no but that doesn't mean that the shows aren't going to take place in the same year. no i
0: th- I, th- I think the answer is no and i'm you know i'm more than happy for these stories to be completely their own thing but going back to the curiosity how great would it be to see ray velcro and Rust team up you know like that's fun that's fun to to fanfic in your True head. Detective season 3? You know that would be pretty great. You know, if this is if this is like building up to True Detective Avengers. True Avengers. Uh that would be crazy. I don't think well, it is. But that know, would be that would be an event. That would be an event.
1: In one of the more famous kind of uh scenes from True Detective, uh one of the characters repeatedly is kind of looking up at the universe and seeing stars and at certain points they're seeing this really dark, crazy, scary sort of psychological mind-bending version of the universe and in others they're seeing a clear starry night and we have taylor kitsch already looking up at the stars and seeing what was not an actual universe and it was it was orion's belt without orion so there are there are visual connections too that are happening here i thought
0: you were going to say that uh we were talking about infinity stones and thanos and uh (laughs) taylor kitsch has gone to mars
1: Oh my gosh! Are we no? We can't do that. We can't. This is not it. True Detective does not exist in the same universe as John Carter. It's Join
0: not me. It's Come not happening. Me.
1: No, I won't do it. I won't do it. No. I won't do it. But I,
0: I'll, I'll say I love the idea. I yeah. I love the idea, not of True Detective existing in the John Carter universe, but of True Detective all being one shared universe. I think that's really fun. I don't expect we'll get it. If that's what happens, I'm not going to be mad at it unless it's terrible. In which case, I still probably won't be mad at it because I'll enjoy the train wreck. Uh, but I don't think that that's where we're going.
1: I think we need evidence that it's not occurring in the same universe, and until we have evidence it's not occurring in the same universe, it's safe to assume that it is. But that doesn't mean we're going to have overt connections other than the thematic. I
0: don't one. think it matters if you're right or wrong about it yet. At least, you know, I, I don't. I, if that's how you view it, if if that makes the themes more resonant for you, and if it makes the stories more powerful for you, unless you get evidence to the contrary, believe that. That sounds yeah. great. Believe. Believe it.
1: All right. One final question from Michael J. Clark. Michael said a couple of interesting lyrics in The Rose, the song from the beginning of the episode. Bette Midler. Especially Love. Can you, do you have a Bette Midler in you, Josh?
0: I don't. Not right now.
1: Love, it is a flower and you, it's only seed. Does this mean that Ray is the only one who can solve the case? Michael Clark asks. Mm,
0: I say Love, it is a flower and you, it's only seed.
1: Or is that a, is that a connection more to the Vince Vaughn storyline?
0: Yeah. Is it the royal you too?
1: That's a good question.
0: Or is it you, detective? Is it just Ray?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I
0: feel like it would be disappointing to be setting this season up as the story of four individuals crossing paths and having it be really hinged on one person to bust the thing wide open. I feel like everyone's going to have a role to play in it. But I I, I do think that we are being positioned to have... You know, it's not just Colin Farrell is top billing on the poster anymore. I do think that he's top billing in the story as well. I think that him surviving episode two um, makes him the most Teflon character right
1: now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right.
0: You know, Um, I feel feel like they they haven't. uh, I said this about a character on Lost who uh, midway into season one, it looks like they're going to kill him off and then they don't. I'm like, oh, well, now that character can never die. And then, and then that character died a couple seasons later.
1: And then that character so, dies.
0: So I'm so I'm often wrong about stuff like this.
1: Not and, Josh's quote is what you're saying. Yeah, and
0: I and I and I feel like um, I definitely feel like Colin Farrell can die. There's this premonition from his ghost dad in the dream where he is saying that uh, you got cut to pieces, and as we covered, that mostly probably means bad things if that comes true. Uh, yeah. So There's there's precedent on the show that he could be heading to the buzzsaw. But I think that he wouldn't get to the buzz on until the very end.
1: Yeah, I want to plant a flag in that. I, I mean, and we'll get to that in a moment. I, actually, there You've is got so one. many flags. We're almost done. Do you have a flag? There's a lot of physical labor
0: involved. Do you it have a flag?
1: No, you have hoarded all the flags. You took well, all the flags. Well, I don't think your opinion matters if you don't have a flag. Why, That's yeah. the way it goes. Oh, wow. You need a flag, Josh. All right. So this is a question. Maybe you need an ISIS flag at a gay pride rally. Stop that. That's not the flag that you want?
0: Everything you're doing right now is wrong. Cut it out
1: i hey listen i'm just taking my news from. stop CNN. it just getting my stop news from it. cnn just get it right it. off of cnn keep going so dave backer who is a great contributor to all our shows here also wanted to know he has a, a few questions but um i think this is the one that that kind of leads most into the flag ray's comment that they're not supposed to solve this crime rings more true after this episode do you agree
0: that they're not supposed to solve this crime that yep. they that they are being tasked by the people in charge with a crime that they don't want to get solved
1: yep yeah Yep.
0: yeah yeah, yep. yeah. It, it feel it definitely feels like that it feels like they've assembled the nincompoops
1: what's uh, interesting is uh, it's, it's for thing different thing. reasons like the the state people don't want to solve the crime seemingly because they want information about the whole city and so they want to actually work assets and they want this thing to go on forever they don't want it to be open and shut because they want to get as much information as they can about Vinci right
0: right for them it's less about I, I think it's less about not wanting to solve the crime and more about not being particularly interested in the crime. They're interested in other things.
1: That's right. And and I think the people in Vinci aren't interested so much in uh, in Ray solving the crime. Perhaps because they probably are the criminals, right? Perhaps <laughs> right. because they they have a feeling or have good reason to believe that solving the crime would would cause a lot of problems for Vinci. Right. And so better to leave that one unsolved or better to steer her in a different direction is what he's told to do at one point. Right. Uh, so that's what's happening. I Taylor kitsch. I don't know if his character is, is he doesn't, he personally doesn't really want to solve the case because all he wants is exactly what his life was like before he accidentally found this body. He wants to be back on the bike. Yeah. So it doesn't matter to him one way. Solve it. Don't solve it. He kind of mentions his promotion, but he's mentioning it to try to like defend what is worth the work. He's sort of half acidly mentioning it. So right. I don't know.
0: He wants to shut off whatever noise is booming in his head. And that's, that's right. And he articulates that by saying the bike.
1: Right. Which he's not, it means he's not particularly interested in solving this crime vis-a-vis that. Correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seems to be that solving this crime is taking him very close to the sorts of noises that are in his head. And that's probably not good for him.
0: No, that sounds bad.
1: So we'll see exactly where that ends up. I mean, that could be, that could be really bad for him Yeah. Um. in a, in a totally non-negative way. just, he might take it the wrong way. Right. So we'll have to see where that goes. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a really uh, interesting question for Dave. Uh, I guess other flags. I did your, speaking of Taylor Kitsch, Did you see that little half second scene with somebody taking pictures of him at the club?
0: W Earl Brown, it looks like.
1: It was W Earl Brown. It looks like uh,
0: Con Farrell's partner, Teague Dixon, is sleuthing on Taylor Kitsch.
1: And I guess the question we ask ourselves is, Why is he he doing this on his own, right? Or is he doing this at someone's instruction? Yeah, why would he be freelancing to blackmail Taylor Kitsch? Like, what's going on there?
0: I've seen some theories about this. Some of the theories that I've seen, the one that I like the most is that he is working for the Lindsay Lohan lady. Okay. Uh, That he is somehow, you know, he is is working for her. I think that's fun to bring her back into the mix, the one who offered him the sexual favor that he turned down, but in the tabloids did not turn down.
1: Well, what's weird about this is when they first assigned the case to Colin Farrell they say to him, you're going to be with Teague Dixon and Colin Farrell's like Dixon. Isn't he kind of like, and I think the implication from Colin Farrell is, isn't he kind of a rummy mess? Like we don't really, I don't really want this guy as my partner. He's like a Harvey Colin, Bullock. Yeah. Like, but, but is it, it's funny that Colin Farrell is, or Ray is qu- claiming some kind of high ground here. Like he's somehow better than this guy. Well, that so,
0: might, you know, really speak volumes about Teague Dixon.
1: Right. It really does. <laughs> but, but is that the same guy who is, you know, sort of deftly following uh, along Taylor kitsch from a distance and sneaking like really uh, perhaps uh, getting ready to sneak compromising photos of him. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to track there. Uh, And I also want to plant a flag naked lady in the milk. Josh, we haven't, we haven't seen it since, since the first episode. What's going on there? I don't know. Someone drank the milk. Someone drank the milk.
0: Who knows what (laughs) happened to the lady?
1: Yeah. So who knows what happened to the lady? Once the milk was gone. Uh, I want to flag the the girl who works at the city manager's office, who was Casper's kind of underling. They interview her in, I think the first episode and she's very like, Oh, I'm very nervous. I'm very worried. I don't know. Like I just, I just kind of took this job. I'm new here. She's very meek presents in a very like innocent way. Shows up at the movie set in this episode, right? behaving the exact same way. She feeds them a line about, Oh, well they just wanted me to come down and, Make sure all the tax forms were in order and stuff like that. I I'm wondering. I'm wondering about that girl. So I'm planting a flag on her. When she shows up again, I want to track exactly what she's up. Just
0: to. make sure that the flag planting is consensual.
1: <laughs> Fair point, Josh. Fair point. And you're I'm planting the one a lot trou- of
0: flags, and I just want to make sure this is all by the book. <laughs> I'm
1: the one in trouble for forever. I feel like you're free. In the-
0: you're freelancing like Teague Dixon here.
1: Hey, I'm, I'm I'm fully in control of my lance. Got it. Okay. So what else do you have? Do you have any flags you want to plant?
0: Well, you sent me something interesting that I'd love to hear you talk about a bit more That I think people would really love to hear. All right,
1: this is a good way to end this one too.
0: Yeah. Cause this, I think this is, we've kind of buried the lead. Uh, you know, this feels like this is, uh, the internet has busted this one wide open. Yeah.
1: And we've buried the lead. So maybe we should do a slight spoiler alert. Like this is probably where the rest of this season is heading. So if you don't want to know, uh, I guess, I guess, Josh, who was the true detective this week?
0: Who was the true detective this week? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Colin Farrell again. I'll say Ray Velcoro again. You know, okay. I, f- I feel like he's he's turned around a lot. I feel like you know he's he's working with a much clearer head than we've ever seen from him so far. And I feel like there just wasn't enough going on in Annie's storyline to really give the crown to Annie. And with uh, Taylor Kitsch, I feel like he is still you know we're still waiting to see a little bit more from him. So I think just by default, it's still Ray Velcoro's crown to lose.
1: jeremiah's vote was for annie uh, and i and i and i I respect that she's doing she's doing some solid work here uh and i I think the best thing about her is that she's actually kind of acting independently she's not a puppet for the state uh she's doing kind of her own investigation forming her own opinions about people like ray and i think that rather than have those force fed to her she is keeping her eyes and ears open and i think that's going to serve her well i would actually vote for taylor kitsch this episode Oh, wow. I think he probably went outside his comfort zone a little bit and started working the street hustlers. He was doing some pretty good street level work that got him literally into the very club of all of Los Angeles. Somehow got him into the very club where Vince Vaughn is shaking down the guys who had supplied the prost. So through some good detective work on the street, he ends up in the very place he needs to end up. That is not that's not a not an accident.
0: Okay, so no tiebreaker. It's a three-way true detective.
1: Three-way split. So right, we're going so really 3B's on it.
0: All right. So let's get into this thing. You said issuing a spoiler warning. I would say it's not a spoiler warning, but there is a heavy amount of speculation on one aspect of the show that's going around right now, written up in a Vanity Fair article that's a really compelling read that does make it sound like we're looking at at this real life analog is being played out on the show. Perhaps it seems like a really good theory. It's one of those theories that just, when you think about it seems pretty tight. Um, But we're only three episodes deep into this thing and who knows, but it's a way to start reading things that maybe people who really want to be completely pure about the show, maybe you want to stay away from. So that's all I'll say about it. Antonio, the floor is yours.
1: Okay. So vanity fair wrote a really pretty solid article that um, piggybacked on some of their previous reporting. Uh, from years ago about a secret society and club that meets in northern california called the bohemian club it's in monte rio california and the bohemian club seems to be this sort of as the article describes land your private plane at a tiny local airport elite members a roster of powerful people it's a summertime retreat that people go to and weird shit apparently goes on at bohemian grove there i think vanity fairs reporter at one time snuck a a camera in and filmed this sort of like ritual that involved uh, effigy and burning in front of this statue of you guessed it a giant bird uh, in this case an owl so that was all in play it's in northern california Um, we've seen bird imagery throughout um, there is a 40 foot tall owl statue there at uh, the lake at Bohemian Grove. Um, again, this is a meeting place for the rich and powerful. Allegedly, some orgies and sex fueled type things have gone on at this place. So you can easily see a connection to what's happening with Rachel Adams. Dead? Is he supplying? Did he supply women? Uh, are these people being? Su- are these women being supplied? Is the whole rail line being built as some kind of? secret way for these people to just extend their power all the way up or what's happening there but there is a there is a connection that's happening there uh, and and i don't think it's um i don't think it's that uh that that i don't know what do you think josh did you buy a lot of what was in the article yeah
0: no it seems pretty good i i think i i don't think that we're gonna see something called the bohemian grove on true detective but i could see a bohemian grove i could see some sort of uh, you know, substitute for the Bohemian Grove being put on the show. You know, it is near this town of Gornville. That's uh, a real it's like
1: 12 minutes away.
0: Yeah, that's like 12 minutes away from where this thing is in real life. And that town is called out twice in episode two. Uh, There's, you know, the pictures of the mayor hanging with all these high power political figures in his mansion.
1: All these references to the parties that have happened. Uh, The mayor's son says he's going to organize. He he organizes all kind of special parties. The mayor met his wife at a party seemingly like that. She has this kind of I mean, no offense to her. She has that look about her. That look about her yeah you know that look okay uh
0: and i i think i think that there's just there's a lot of i don't think it would be a one for one type of thing but i think that there's a lot of things that are going on on the show that do sound like it mirrors this uh this bohemian grove that's being described here In this,
1: you article. know what they call the people who who are members of bohemian grove bohos bohos bro bohos bro bohos oh. we have clint eastwood walter cronkite dick cheney of course the the, the, the george bush's and um, you William see F. George Buckley. W.
0: Bush on the mantle in, yep. in the mayor's house. So,
1: yep. Charles Maston, Henry Kissinger, you know, all these people, uh, Colin Powell, Nelson Rockefeller, Teddy Roosevelt, Carl Rove, Donald Rumsfeld, um, you know, just yeah, your average roster of super rich and powerful people, $25,000 initiation fee, hefty yearly dues. You can only get in it um, that you're invited by several members. Uh, or there's otherwise a lifelong waiting list that apparently you'll never clear. Right. Um, I don't know. It's it's this interesting... Sounds like, fun. Yeah, you like that?
0: Yeah, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to look into this... Uh, you were a camp counselor, weren't you? I was a camp counselor.
1: So, I mean, this is a camp at it's heart. Maybe they do fun stuff like archery and boating.
0: I love summer camp. And this article also says that uh, the summer season is starting. The 2015 summer season starts on July 10. I'm going to look into
1: this. You're gonna try to become a boho?
0: I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna investigate. Hopefully, I can skip ahead on the wait list.
1: I, I think that you. Could. I think you could. I All think right. you could. You're gonna work your MTV connections. Tell them you know Rob Sesternino. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, forget. Do that you guy's think not Rob even, is a boho? Bro? That guy's not even verified on Twitter.
1: Oh, <laughs> is that it? You get a blue check mark and you're in. I've got the blue check mark. That that's might what I My pass. You're in. That's wow. it. That's all you need. All
0: right. Well, let's see if I can work that. I'm going to work that in between. I podcasts. will
1: front you the twenty five k if a blue check mark gets you in the door.
0: All right. I'm in. All right. So that's what we're going to do after this podcast. I'm going to get to work on cracking into the Bohemian Grove and hopefully I can come back with some clues about what's going to happen here in the rest of True Detective season two. How does that sound, Antonio?
1: That sounds fantastic. That sounds
0: really good. And Terry, do we got a hashtag for this one? What do we
1: got T T C U D or what, what T- was it? Hashtag uh,
0: TD. T- well,
1: T-D-C-U, TDCU
0: Wow. It's only four letters, but it's so confusing. All right. Yeah. Hashtag T D C U. If you made it this far, tweet that at Antonio at AC Mazzaro. It's two Z's
1: one R there you go.
0: I'm at round Howard and uh shout for Jeremiah Panhorst to get back on this thing. He's at J Panhorst on Twitter. He'll be back next week. We'll fill him in on the bohos. We'll fill him in on everything that we talked about in this week's episode of the True Detective Podcast here on Posture Recaps. Antonio, anything else?
1: I don't, I just want to plant... No, I'm just kidding. I'm done. <laughs> You're <laughs> done planting flags. No more flags being planted. Yeah, Antonio
0: has planted all of his flags until next time uh, when we have more flags to plant. All right, everybody. Take care. Bye.
1: I'm the moonraker.
0: That's weird. Okay, bye.